Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Self-improvement is a big business. Books alone, in 2019, over 18 million copies were sold. By that same year, there were over 85,000 unique titles registered as being published. And those are just statistics for books. We spent $800 million on them. And when you add to that all of the other products, the applications, the audio books, the coaching and motivational speaking, the United States alone spent $12 billion. $12 billion on improving ourselves. And that's in one year. Well, the message from these statistics is crystal clear. Humans know that they are flawed that they are not living up to their full potential. And we know that we are too tired, too slow, too drained of energy. We know that we should be happier, healthier, smarter. And we know that we are not all that we should be, and so we search a remedy because we know that there is one out there somewhere. Otherwise, why would we be yearning for it? If this is all we are to be, if this is the best we are to be, then we should be happy and content. But we're not happy and content. We're anxious for what we know must be a better us. So what do we do? We try harder. We believe stronger. We make better decisions. We find the right mix of habits. And we make ourselves become the better us that we can be. And all of this is fine. It's even good. But I bring it up because the drive to improve our physical and mental health stems from a deeper motivation, a deeper realization that each of us is more than just the sum of our physical and mental capabilities. There's something additional. There's something additive. And whatever that is, we also know that it's not living up to our full potential. So, we look outside ourselves, outside the material world towards the metaphysical one. Non-Christians speak into the universe or to Mother Earth and in search of spiritual healing. Others 
look to religions where man-made gods serve them in exchange for offerings of food and incense. And still others force themselves to reject the idea of a spiritual entity and to suppress any need for improvement. But just like the physical, humans know that they are flawed, that there is something more to them than the organs that make up their bodies and the minds that control it. And they know that whatever that is, it is something that needs improvement, needs healing, needs restoration. And so mankind continues in that quest. We buy books, and we look for ideologies and theologies that are just bigger than us. This is the way of us humans, but it wasn't always this way. Mankind wasn't created with this realization that there was something wrong, that there was something that needed to be improved. We were created complete, whole, in the image of God. We were created lacking nothing. Nothing physically, mentally, or spiritually. But when sin entered the world through Adam, creation became corrupted. And something happened to us, both physically and mentally and spiritually. And ever since then, we have been searching for a healer, either something inside or outside of ourselves. And millions of dollars later, the world still searches. But our gospel passage stands in stark contrast to the exploration of the world. And I'd like to read just a portion of it, starting in verse 33. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed and said to each other, What words are these? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Messiah. 
The first thing I'd like to point out in this passage is that it supports the claims of the world. We are flawed. We are in need of restoration. Something is wrong with us, and we need to be healed. So this is a great passage to show your non-Christian friends when they make those claims. We can turn to this passage. We can turn to Luke. And we can say, yes, I agree with you. We are not living a full life that we were made to live. People are possessed with demons. There is sickness. There is death. None of that is in dispute. What is disputed is the source of the healing. Where does that come from? From the universe? Do we turn to these books and teach us to work harder? That the power can be found from within ourselves? If we listen to the teachers of the world, these are exactly the sources from where we will find the solution. We must cry harder. We must work harder. We must believe stronger. But this passage answers that question quite clearly. For it's not from within ourselves or from anything of this world. Jesus is our master healer. Sent from heaven to heal us. Sometimes this includes a physical healing, but sometimes it does not. And that's the point. Jesus didn't come to heal our physical ailments, to improve our memory, or to give us more energy. He didn't come to improve our financial standings. We can't speak our physical healing in the name of Jesus and expect that he will bow to our commands. We can't dictate to him that because we have faith like a mustard seed, he should open the doors to that promotion or for improved obedience from our children. You see, he came because he knew that much deeper than those needs was a disease far more deadly eternally deadlier than anything we could even experience in this world. See, God knew the diagnosis, and he also knew the prognosis. We were fatally marred, headed for eternal death. Sin had corrupted us, and it had turned us away from him and turned us inward towards ourselves. And he also knew that we were unable to heal ourselves, unable to turn back towards him as the source of spiritual healing. And so he didn't supply us with any self-help remedies. All of Scripture points not to ourselves as the source, but to Jesus, the Son of God, who could do for us 
what we could not do for ourselves. There on the cross, Jesus became that which had corrupted us. He became our illness and suffered the symptoms on our behalf. And then he became the remedy, the answer that we had been searching for. His death and resurrection healed us and through faith turned us back towards him. It gave us the medicine that we so desperately needed, his body, his blood. See, he is our master healer, doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And he offers us this healing at his table. He says, take, eat, for the forgiveness of your sins. For this is your true illness. And I am your true healer. I have done for you what you could never do. Your soul has been healed. Your sins have been forgiven. And your eternal life has been saved. You've been resurrected from the dead and have been made whole. Will your children now be obedient to you? Will your physical illness disappear Will that promotion that you so desperately need be realized? That's not what Jesus is promising you. He doesn't promise you a life free from sadness or illness or anxiety or pain. He doesn't promise you a life empowered by your own will. What Jesus promises you is this. A life at the foot of the cross. A life where sin still interferes and Satan still has his way. He promises you a life on your knees. A life emptied of self and dependent on him. And when you live your life this way, when you have emptied yourself of everything you cannot control, cannot fix, cannot change. When you empty yourself of yourself and present to him an empty vessel, our Lord promises to fill it with himself. He promises to take the pains and the anxieties of your world and make them his own. He promises that he is your master healer and that you can trust your life in his hands. He promises. Are you looking to lose weight or improve your confidence? Would you like to remember people's names or decrease your desire to buy things, maybe you would like to live healthier. And there's 85,000 books to choose from. And many of them will help with those problems. But not a single one, a single one will help with the real illness that you and I have. 
Not a single one will provide you with what you really need. You need Jesus. You need his healing. You cannot do this on your own. And where do you find him? You find him in the reading and in the hearing of God's word and through the gifts of himself that he offers at the table. For it is there in his word and at the table where God sends the master physician directly to you. And it's where you find true healing. You want his promises. You want his healing. There's a book for that. And it doesn't cost a single penny. But it does cost you your self-focused life. Will you receive it? Please pray with me. Lord, you are our master physician, our master healer. We praise you for the work that you have done on our behalf to restore us to our Father. Our soul is healed, our sins forgiven, and our eternal life secured. Help us live in this confidence and share it with others. In your name we pray.